it's Taylor, and that's so disturbing. It's also fall, which means I can bring out my favorite clothes, my favorite jackets, my favorite pants, my favorite long sleeve shirts. I can finally have a bowl of soup without sweating my butt off. And I can also order my favorite drink at Starbucks, which is the pumpkin cream cold brew. It is the most delightful drink that has ever been created. It is my favorite twist on cold brew that adds the flavor of the season right on top. No, this isn't sponsored. <laughs> I probably should be. But another part of this season and also by Starbucks is the iconic pumpkin spice latte. Miss PSL, if you will. And I started to do a deep dive on this. I kind of wanted to know where did this drink come from and why did it become such a big deal? And I also know and will admit that I have associated pumpkin spice lattes with women. I have associated it in my head as a feminine drink, as a girly drink. So once I started to dig into this on the internet, I learned the history behind this famous drink. And then as I kept clicking around, I saw the common criticisms of it. And then I saw how it can be harmful to associate things with women or to associate hobbies, foods, drinks, sports as being stereotyped to be feminine. There's a lot of this that I didn't know about, and this isn't to ruin your love for pumpkin-flavored drinks. But what I do want to have a conversation about is how these things can be harmful and maybe some better ways that we can interpret the trends we see online and how we can be kinder to these trends that are viewed as girly, girly trends. So the history of pumpkin spice latte, it was invented by Peter Dukes, the director of Espresso Americas at Starbucks in 2003, not that long ago. I don't know why I thought that this drink was vintage. It's not. <laughs> Dukes and his team wanted to create a fall seasonal drink as successful as the peppermint mocha and eggnog latte. They experimented with different combinations and ratios of pumpkin to spice, ultimately deciding on a recipe with no pumpkin. So there wasn't any pumpkin in it. The PSL was first introduced as a test in just 100 Washington, D.C. and Vancouver, Canada stores. It was an instant success, and by 2004, it was available at all Starbucks locations in the United States. The PSL has become a global phenomenon and is now available in over 60 countries. Typically, it's in season from September to November, but there are some places that offer it year-round. It is estimated that Starbucks sells over 400 million pumpkin spice lattes each year, generating billions of dollars in revenue. In 2019, the PSL accounted for 3% of Starbucks's total sales. The PSL has been credited with popularizing the pumpkin spice flavor profile, which is now used in a wide range of products from food to cosmetics. According to Starbucks's blog, Real Pumpkin was added to the PSL in 2015, along with some other ingredients that make it taste even better and amplify it. Their blog says, this is big news for the pumpkin spice fans who have been asking for more pumpkin flavor in the drink for years. <laughs> and it's good news for us too. 
because we love using real ingredients in our drinks. Real pumpkin is a delicious and nutritious ingredient that adds a rich flavor to the PSL. Funny reading that, like what, why wasn't it ever a real ingredient, but whatever. (laughs) The change was met with mixed reactions from everyone. There were some people who were excited to see that Starbucks was using some real pumpkin in its marketed pumpkin spice latte, while there were other people who thought that the recipe was too sweet or that it didn't taste as good as the original. However, the pumpkin spice latte has prevailed and it remains one of the most popular drinks at Starbucks. And it's likely that pumpkin was the reason it got so popular. And I'm one of those people that thinks it's a little bit too sweet, which is why I love the cold brew. There are also a lot of other hateful feelings towards this drink. The most popular one, which is that it is too sweet. It is made with a significant amount of sugar, which some people find really overwhelming. I am one of those. It doesn't taste like pumpkin. So some people think that it's just too artificial or it's overpowering, that the drink is too unhealthy, and that it's a sign of seasonal creep. PSLs often released in stores in August before the start of fall. This has led some people criticizing it as a sign of businesses trying to start the holiday season too early, which I had never heard of this term. Like, I, in my head, I've seen, you know, we all have these jokes of when holiday themed items come out really early or when the Easter items come out or Valentine's Day, any of the holidays. I've noticed that there's like this saying, or we joke around saying that there's they're coming out with these items so early and earlier every single year. But there is a term called seasonal creep for it. And I kind of want to talk to you about this. So it is known as this gradual shift of seasonal activities and products and merchandise to earlier and earlier dates. So we're not crazy. It is getting earlier and earlier. It's most commonly associated with the holiday season when retailers start selling Christmas decorations and merchandise before Halloween. The term seasonal creep was coined by Jonathan Banks, policy director for Clear the Air. In 2006, he introduced the term in a report titled Season Creep, How Global Warming is Already Affecting the World Around Us. In this report, Banks argued that the seasonal creep is a sign for climate change and that it can have negative consequences for ecosystems and agriculture. There are a number of things that contribute to seasonal creep, one of them being the increasing commercialization of holidays. Retailers are constantly looking for ways to increase sales, and they often start by selling seasonal merchandise earlier in the year in order to capture more of the holiday shopping market. Another factor that contributes to seasonal creep is the rise of social media. The platforms allow retailers to reach a global audience, and they often use social media to promote seasonal merchandise and activities. This can lead to people feeling pressure to start celebrating holidays and seasons earlier than they traditionally would have. Seasonal creep can have a number of negative consequences. It can lead to overconsumption and to waste as we keep buying more and more things that we think we need can also lead to a lot of stress and anxiety because we feel this pressure to keep up with the trends and to start celebrating a little bit earlier. In recent years, there's been a growing movement against seasonal creep. Some people are choosing to boycott retailers that start selling seasonal merchandise too early, and then there are other people who celebrate holidays and seasons in more traditional ways. 
It's important to note that seasonal creep is not anything new. Retailers have been starting the holiday season earlier and earlier for decades. However, with social media becoming more and more prevalent in our everyday lives, this commercialization of holidays has made seasonal creep more prevalent in recent years. The most common ways that we see this are called holiday creep, which is the most well-known type, and it refers to the gradual shift of the holiday season to earlier dates. There's the summer creep, which is the gradual shift of summer activities and merchandise to earlier dates. So I had never noticed. That's why swimwear (laughs) gets brought out so much earlier every single year. Then there's the back-to-school creep, which is the gradual shift of back-to-school activities and merchandise to earlier years as well. I haven't noticed the back-to-school creep nearly as much because I haven't bought school supplies in a long time. But it's kind of interesting that they're trying to do this and have people feel more incentivized to buy their school supplies earlier. How can marketing get the most out of the season by prolonging it in general? And how can stores sell more products by incentivizing people to shop earlier or giving them more of a chance to buy school supplies? And you're just seeing the ads everywhere. It's more common than some holidays than others, but it's associated with a lot of spending and retailers are eager to start selling holiday merchandise as early as possible. It's less common for other holidays because those ones aren't associated with as much spending, kind of like Easter. I don't really think of Easter as a time where I want (laughs) to buy more things. Um, And it's also not nearly as associated with Valentine's Day. I would say I see it more for maybe jewelry, but people aren't like spending hundreds of dollars around Valentine's Day. And if you're bothered by these things, if you're listening to this and you're like, okay, this kind of irritates me, I don't want to be another cog in the capitalist machine. Well, some ways that you can kind of avoid this would be by just not engaging with it. Don't feel like you need to shop any earlier than you normally would. Choose to celebrate your holidays in a more traditional way. And then you can talk to your friends and family about this seasonal creep. And you can just kind of raise awareness about it. Talk to them and say, hey, just because they are putting stuff out a little earlier than they probably should be, you don't have to buy it. (laughs) So if it bothers you, you can kind of, you can do some of those things. And if it doesn't bother you, if you are like, yes, I will 100% engage with these marketing tactics, go for it. Take it, take what you need, leave the rest. But it's something to kind of have in the back of your mind because I've been gaslighting myself for years, thinking that it's not getting earlier and earlier when they start selling Christmas products, but they are. So now I feel a little bit better. So back to Miss PSL, why did it become so popular? I think about this with a lot of trends. I'm like, why did this one thing take off and other things didn't? Well, I'll be honest with you. I have always thought that this was a girly drink myself. I've even engaged with this and felt some way about the drink. I've even told myself, like, it's just a girly thing. I'm going to treat myself to my pumpkin cold brew. I didn't think it was that big of a deal, to be honest, but it's not as harmless as I had once thought it was. A writer named J.S. Axena wrote a thought-provoking article on taste. Here's where I want to read her article to you because I think every word in it has intention 
And she's explained this entire concept in a much better way than I ever could. But I also think it kind of gives you like an idea of how it feels to go deep into each topic and how important it is to get different perspectives on it. Jaya writes in her article titled, Women Aren't Ruining Food. Why do we get so collectively annoyed by food and drink trends that we associate with women? Because it's an ugly double standard. Rosé, in case you hadn't heard, is ruined. What was once just one of many wines to enjoy on a summer day is now a ubiquitous brand that you either have to love or hate. And if you do enjoy rosé, you must now defend your taste against the onslaught of rosé gummies, rosé chocolate, rosé t-shirts, rosé gin, and of course, rosé. <laughs> this isn't the first time a pink beverage has been ruined, nor is it the first time a food or beverage has become so popular that it invites an inevitable backlash. This is how capitalism works. Consumers enjoy something, brands notice demand, and turn the product into a lifestyle, and consumers dutifully recoil. But instead of being angry at the free market, the air towards hashtag rosé is directed at the population widely believed to be responsible for its downfall, women. It's quote-unquote Lady Petrol, according to BBC host Jeremy Clarkson. It's exhausting, according to Eater. It's unsophisticated. It's over. It may be true that the rise of rosé is a women-driven trend, a fact that has led a lot of unfortunate gendered product names like White Girl Rosé and Babe and Mommy's Time Out. But the backlash against it underscores a sad but not unexpected assumption when it comes to food trends, and really all trends. When men enjoy something, they elevate it, but when women enjoy something, they ruin it. When men buy into food trends, they bring much-needed attention and success to what they're consuming. Some sommeliers rolled their eyes after Sideways made male wine drinkers everywhere drop their Merlots for Pinot Noirs, but no one was accusing Pinot Noir of overstaying its welcome. And when men get into women's trends, they elevate and legitimize them, or even create an entirely new market. Male rosé drinkers have transformed it from a wine seen serious by wine drinkers as cloying, mass-produced swill, an object of revulsion and gender disdain, as GQ wrote, into something men are happy to be seen drinking. Yogurt, a neutral food, if there ever was one, went from being feminized to being marketed as protein-rich workout fuel for men. And of course, men don't diet, they biohack. Any form or style of food or drink is literally a matter of taste. It is also gender neutral, though that hasn't stopped people from associating tofu and chocolate with women or bitter alcohols with men. Whether that's because women do most of the buying or because marketers have an insatiable appetite for turning human enjoyment into target-based profit, we wind up with things like chocolate bars that say they're not for girls. Women's foods tend to be sweet, like cupcakes macarons, wine coolers, thought of as healthy, yogurt, froyo, diet soda, smoothie bowls, salad, or otherwise fussy, unicorn lattes, pumpkin spice anything, and it comes in pink. Men's foods tend to be bitter, like hops, coffee, and whiskey, spicy, like hot sauce, tacos, flaming Hot Cheetos, and hearty, meat. When those foods blow up, we judge women for falling for the marketing or trying to jump on the bandwagon, and we assume that because they like something other women like, they don't have minds of their own. 
And on top of that, women are asked to reckon with, consciously or unconsciously, the perceived psychosexual symbolism attached to seemingly innocuous foods. Cupcakes, the women's news site Jezebel, declared in the midst of the cupcake boom, have become shorthand for womanhood. In general, the language that's used against women-centric food trends is coded and gendered. In a 2012 article about the Froyo trends, the New York Observer disparaged the cutesy stores. According to The Guardian, the Macron is a pastel menace and more a flouncy form of interior design than something good to eat. Cupcakes, meanwhile, are prissy. Mike's Hard Lemonade even worked on rebranding because much like wine coolers, as the New York Times explained, sweet and fruity alcoholic beverages like Mike's may strike some as unmanly. We also punish women for ruining other people's experiences with their food preferences. In 2016, Domino's released a series of ads for their new salad menu, joking that they reluctantly added it to appease the one person in your hypothetical group who doesn't want to eat pizza. This lettuce lover in the ads always a woman. By offering salads, Domino's explained these domineering harpies would no longer ruin pizza night. But the central critique of women-driven food trends is that women are getting food wrong. Things that are supposed to be complex, like wine, are vilified for being simple. Never mind that the majority of wine drinkers are women, while foods like cupcakes and froyo pander to people who have no taste, and let's not forget that women also needlessly complicate food that is supposed to be simple. Why drink coffee when you can have a half-calf double caramel soy latte macchiato instead? Men can obsess over aspect of procuring, drying, and grilling a steak, but women are the high-maintenance ones for arranging a beautiful smoothie bowl. The treatment of women-centric food trends illuminates how, in many respects, whatever a man does is considered the standard that the rest of us should adhere to. If a man is fussy about craft beer or protein shakes, it's food that should be fussed over. If a man requires nothing more than meat, potatoes, and a Budweiser, neither should anyone else. That double standard obviously isn't unique to food. Women have ruined movie franchises, music genres, and of course even men themselves. But the particular relationship women have with food makes this even harder to swallow. Not only have we traditionally been in charge of planning and making household meals, we've been commanded to do so while maintaining our beauty and figures. We are expected to produce food, but are so heavily scrutinized when we consume it that finding joy in what we eat is often an incredibly fraught endeavor. Of course, women are ordering salad. We're taught to fear any indulgence bigger than a cupcake. So if you're angry that a trend is ruining food, stop and ask yourself if the problem is women or the endless cycle that judges them at every turn. Rosé, after all, can sometimes be just rosé. And honestly, once I finished reading all of this, I hadn't really noticed it. Like, I heard that trends were girly, but I didn't realize the emotions that were also being pushed into the category with them. I knew that there were stereotypes with the poor little pumpkin spice latte, but I hadn't fully comprehended to what extent this bleeds over into so many other items and internet trends. My first thoughts went to clothing trends, foods, drinks, and hobbies. I remember when I was younger, I felt as though women had to eat this like dainty food and men were the ones to eat steak burgers and overall eat really large meals so any food that wasn't messy to an extent was the food that women could have and men were the ones that could just be disgusting and get beef juice all over everything 
cocktails are meant for women, hobbies like knitting, crocheting, reading romance novels, and sometimes I even see journaling to be this kind of girl hobby to engage with, I guess, talking about your feelings or writing them or whatever. Spin classes, Pilates, and sometimes yoga are also seen as girly, at least to me. They're like this quote-unquote easier form of exercise. I feel like to some extent cardio or like running, kind of, right? They're seen as like what girls opt to do. And then, as I kept thinking about this, yeah, I know, I do. I think a lot and I overthink, but I wondered where on earth did this come from? So the practice of labeling foods, drinks, and hobbies and other things as girly, it's been around for centuries. It's rooted in traditional gender roles, which dictate that certain activities and interests are more appropriate for women and girls than they are for men and boys. For example, in the Victorian era, it was considered unseemly for women to eat in public. So certain foods such as chocolates and cakes were marketed as ladies' foods. Similarly, hobbies such as sewing and knitting were seen as feminine, while hobbies such as hunting and fishing were seen as masculine, which is a little bit weird because we still see that today. In the 20th century, the marketing of girly products became more sophisticated. Advertisers began to use images of young, attractive women to sell products such as clothing, toys, and makeup. They also began to associate girly products with positive qualities such as beauty, popularity, and romance. Today, though, the marketing of girly products continues to be pervasive. The association of certain things from feminine qualities is also reflected in popular culture. For example, movies and television shows often portray women and girls as being interested in fashion, makeup, and relationships, and those kinds of things can reinforce the stereotype. It is also important to note that the labeling of things as girly, it's not really that harmless. It can lead to girls and women being pressured to conform to traditional gender roles. It can also lead to boys and men being discouraged from pursuing interests that are seen as feminine. So, like, mildly depressing, right? Because in my <laughs> once I once I learned all of this, like, I, my first thoughts were, one, why did this start? And then I saw how far back this dates. And that kind of freaks me out a little bit. Like, it's been hundreds of years, and this isn't something that we've broken. And also, it is not going away anytime soon. At least, I don't think so. It seems to be more deeply ingrained into our everyday lives because of the access to the internet and social media. And it just, it makes me, it started to make me feel really bad for having these assumptions. Celia Adams from Medium.com, she wrote an amazing article, and in this, she has a really great quote that I don't want to butcher, and I'm going to take directly from it. She says, girls are more likely to shy away from their own interests or ambitions because of the labels that may become attached to them. Bossy, nerdy, weird, girly. That follows them when they grow up, except now the words are pushy, aggressive, and bitchy. How many women listening to this right now can heavily relate to that? I remember always trying to get away from the words bossy because bossy meant bitchy and meant mean. It meant someone that tells everyone what to do and no one wants to be around that person. Even nerdy, right? There's like horrible nerdy stereotypes of really anyone, but for women, it's like those those are the people that you don't want to be friends with. And also, 
What is with movies always having a nerdy girl in it and then they have to give her a makeover like Princess Diaries or Mean Girls? They're always, quote unquote, fixing her and making her look the more traditional beauty standard. Remember that Visco girl trend? I hadn't thought about this one in a while, but that phrase always in my head was synonymous with basic once it went viral. It also didn't seem prevalent for my age group since it was more targeted towards teenage girls. The girls who chose to wear a t-shirt, bracelets, carry a hydro flask, and have their hair up in a scrunchie. Once the physical trend of this became popular, I remember seeing viral TikToks mocking the trend, portraying these girls as someone with no style, girls to be airheaded, and honestly annoying. Rebecca Jennings from Vox wrote this in an article back in 2019. Usually, we point out to each other when we see these Visco girls, and we might laugh at them a little bit just because they're so conformist. One 15-year-old told Slate. Another described them as, they're just kind of basic and not that interesting as people. This essentially is the effect of labeling people at all. Any high school dramedy will tell you as much. Like the basic girls of the mid to early 2010s, the Visco girl label slaps any teenager with an oversized t-shirt and a scrunchie with a dozen other signifiers that may or may not apply to her. That she's vapid and boring, that she's too concerned with how others picture her, even though they look just like everybody else, and that in trying so hard to not look like she's trying, she becomes the biggest tryhard of all. And, like most stereotypes about women, you can't really win. This trend, to me, has seemed to die down, but the labeling of girls and women hasn't. Now we're seeing the girl dinners, hot girl walks, feral girl summers, hot girl summer, girl boss, <laughs> girl math, clean girl aesthetic, and the cozy girl walk. To someone that's not chronically online like we are, these terms probably make no sense or seem a little bit stupid. They do play into the reinforcement of feminine stereotyping and labeling girls as basic. They're also marketing campaigns. Let's use girl dinner as an example. Once those videos on TikTok began to go viral, other companies started to participate. Trader Joe's smacked the label in front of their cheese and deli meat section to join in on the fad. Then Popeyes added a meal to their menu titled Girl Dinner. We then get this sense of amusement as we watch the mainstream media take on these terms and bring them to life in our local markets or restaurants. And then we sigh at the older generations on TV who provide commentary on trends and question what is wrong with our generation. Now, I don't want this to sound incredibly depressing. It kind of is. It's a little bit sad that this is what's happening with the trends that we see online. And it made me think even more about the hot girl walks. And then recently I've seen this like cozy girl walk where this girl gets up really early in the morning. She makes her room look super cute or her living room. She sets up her walking pad. She gets her drink and turns on her favorite TV show. And the poor girl then, I didn't watch the original video and I can't find it, but she responded to this male athletic influencer who was basically belittling her for this trend and really thought it was stupid. And she provided a response for this, but also to me as well, I don't see the harm in this trend. I personally, I love some of this stuff. Like having this hot girl walk has made exercise more fun to me, especially this cute little cozy girl walk thing. I think it's adorable. I 
also have a walking pad. And so this idea of like making exercise fun and creating like an atmosphere or an environment for it and using modern day technology to enhance these mundane experiences, at least for me, I'm not the biggest fan of exercise, but if there's a way that I can make it cute and aesthetic and enjoyable to me, I'm all for it. I'm going to participate in it. And I feel that way about some, some of the other trends. And I, I'm still sitting here after reading these articles. And I will mention here that I didn't cover every possible thing that you can think of when it comes to these quote unquote girly trends. But it, I'm still torn on how I should approach them going forward. And I can't tell <laughs> if I like genuinely love a trend or is that really just how the marketing's working and how well it's doing or how deeply ingrained stereotypes are in me. But what I do know is that I too felt negatively about this visco trend. And looking back, I find it wildly inappropriate for me to ever comment on teenage girls and what they're doing. I think that we've seen so many times how teenage girls are stereotyped and really judged when they're just children. And we all remember how awful high school, middle school was for us just as it was. And then to have all this pressure on your looks and how you act and how you talk and how you're maturing or not maturing enough, it's so incredibly painful to watch. And at least for myself, the least that I can do is not judge girls getting through life and trying to figure out who they want to be. I think for myself, I can have a more healthy relationship towards these trends and at least question what emotions I'm having when I hear them. Like, am I putting women down when I think about this trend? Do I think women are stupid by engaging with this? Like, what what am I experiencing when I see these trends online? And the last part of a lot of this is, why am I not taking a step back when I see something quote-unquote trending? Because when I Googled girl dinner or I Googled pumpkin spice latte, there's a lot of really great writers out there, a lot of journalists, a lot of research, and a lot of profound perspectives on these different trends that offer so much insight into what these trends mean. What do they mean in the year 2023? Where did they come from and why this can be harmful? I hope you're not sitting there <laughs> rolling your eyes like, Taylor, how did you make pumpkin spice lattes to be this deep? <laughs> and that's not, it is not what I wanted to do at all. But I want to think more critically about the content that I am engaging with on the internet. It kind of bothers me that I see a 30 second video and now it sticks in my head. Like all of the songs that we hear online, once you hear it over and over and over again, how many times are you sitting there? kind of staring off into space and you remember a really popular song. Or if you look at the top charts and you look through the different songs that are on there, how many of them are because of TikTok? So I I don't have all the answers here. I don't know what the right thing to do is. And I don't think a lot of people know what the right thing to do is. But what I do know 
is that even from the article that I had mentioned about women being scared to try things because they don't want to seem bitchy or bossy or stupid, I also want to reevaluate different hobbies that I try and really see if I'm thinking about those stereotypes when I want to try something new or even when I want to speak up with, for myself. Like I have a really hard time of saying no. I have a hard time being assertive or saying what I need in that moment or really anything like that. Like just having my voice in general, I'm worried of coming off too strong or being too assertive. And maybe the pumpkin spice latte is your friendly reminder to do whatever the fuck you want to do, regardless of how it comes off, you know? Like it just, it doesn't seem worth it to have this internal monologue every time you want to order a drink, every time you want to order a salad because you genuinely love salad. Why do people have to ruin our acai bowls? And you know what? If something's basic, that's totally fine, which that could be a whole podcast episode on itself because that word has a whole bunch of history behind it too. And it has a lot of really negative implications as well. But I tried to like stay a little bit focused with my little PSL rant today. But I really encourage you when you're on the internet and when you're lurking and when you're pulling up hashtags, I would love to see within myself and even someone listening to this, like, do you notice if there's a bunch of negativity behind this trend? Do you notice if there's a lot of men saying really mean things? And let's not be mean to teenage girls, okay? It's really awful (laughs) as it is. I look back and I cringe at the makeup that I was wearing and the clothes that I had on, but I wouldn't change any of that because it helped me find the person that I am today. And it humbled me, (laughs) okay? There's a lot of humbling experiences as a teenager, but I don't think we need to make it even more difficult for them. And I don't think that we need to associate negativity with each trend. It doesn't need to be something that's funny. It doesn't need to be something that's belittled. And maybe we start to reevaluate why something is determined to be a girly activity versus what's manly. Because I don't understand what's so difficult or what's supposed to be manly about fishing (laughs) or whatever, which I'm not going to do. Let's enjoy a fucking pumpkin spice latte without feeling bad about it. I'm going to order the sugariest drink if I feel like it, but I'm also going to order a cold brew because sometimes I just need that extra bit of energy. I really hope you learned something from this, and I'd be interested to hear what kinds of conversations you can take with you and how you want to read the internet. And if you're one of those people that likes to comment, maybe think about what you're commenting on Teenage Girls social media platforms and think about if it's really real. Like if you want to reinforce those stereotypes, I think that this conversation about the pumpkin spice latte comes at a really great time with the Barbie movie because the Barbie movie talked a lot about the messages that were conveyed in some of the articles that I read. But I think we can just be a lot nicer to each other. Let me go on my hot girl walk. Let me make my low effort girl dinner. 
but we're not going to pick on the poor little visco girls. And we're not going to pick on whatever trend comes out of teenage girls. We're going to let them live. We're going to let them express themselves. And why can't we just bully men instead? <laughs> why can't we bully them for drinking beer? <laughs> I don't understand. Maybe that's where the attention needs to shift. Just kidding. Maybe not. But I really hope you enjoyed this conversation today. And I hope that you found something interesting about pumpkin spice lattes that you didn't know before. So be nice to each other. I know it's really disturbing that there's all these hidden meanings <laughs> disturbing behind the pumpkin spice latte. But I hope you enjoy one or make one yourself if you don't want to give money to Starbucks. Do whatever the fuck you want to do. And I'll see you soon. All right? Okay, great. Bye! Thank you.